Right out of high school, I moved to Chicago, lived there three years to go to school there. There's a lot of things about Chicago I fell in love with. One of those things would be the pizza. Chicago is known for its pizza and for good reason. Graduated there, came back, went to university. Patty and I got married, and we headed out to Southern California for me to go to grad school. While we were there, we became aware of a pizza restaurant down by the beach that was called Chicago Pizza. As a matter of fact, their big advertisement was Chicago-style pizza. So this sounded really appealing. actually had a friend of mine that was in the dorm with me in Chicago who had gotten married and lived in Southern California, so we decided to go together. So we show up, we order our Chicago pizza. They bring out what looks like a cracker, no tomato sauce, sliced up tomatoes, and a little Parmesan cheese. Exactly. I felt obligated to inform the waitress, this is not Chicago pizza. It's like, what is this? Is this the appetizer? Is this the teaser? I'm sorry, only in California could they think that's a Chicago pizza. No offense to those of you from the great state of California. You know, to be promised one thing and have something else delivered when it's a pizza, just kind of annoying. But to be promised something with the most significant decisions of life, only to have those promises be lies and deception, that's something very different. That's what we want to talk about this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with us to Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2. Peter's concerned with the false teachers that have come into the churches and have the potential to lead the people astray. And so uh, last week I talked about a false teacher, thinking about a false teacher like a life coach. These are all people that are applying for the opportunity to tell you how to live life. There are hundreds of such voices coming at us every day. And so Peter is kind of encouraging us before you listen to the words of this life coach, might be helpful to look at the life of the life coach and ask yourself, are they living the life that I want for myself? And if not, why would you listen to what they have to say? So he talked about the attitudes and the characteristics of these false teachers And we continue with that in verse 17. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. So if you think about the path of life as as a path, as a road, uh, the end of last week, verse 16, we were reminded that even a dumb donkey knows that we should not 
forsake the path of life. So this morning, think of Highway 2 as the path of life. Think of it from here down to Nebraska City. And then imagine all these off-ramps, all these billboards, all these signs, all these appeals to get off the road to take one of these ramps in order to experience more, in order to experience what you're looking for. The promise is for that which will ultimately satisfy. So what they're promising are springs full of clean, fresh water. Now these images were very powerful in a first century Near East culture. They're not as powerful for us. We have water in America uh, at our disposal everywhere you look. But think about an ancient culture where it was dry, it was hot, it was barren, and water was about daily survival. Imagine traveling somewhere with the understanding if you did not find springs along the way, there was a real chance you may not survive. So imagine someone who's traveling, they're getting more and more thirsty, they're realizing this is getting desperate, if I cannot find water, we may not survive. Imagine a whole family, and they encounter someone that says, you know, if you go about five miles off the path, I promise, there's a spring full of cool, fresh water. So you get off the path and you travel down that path, believing that you were told the truth. But you get there and you find out it is a spring with no water. It's now dried up and you realize you and your family will perish. That's how Peter is describing these false teachers. They are springs without water, They are misdriven by the storm. We in the Midwest might think of it more as being in the midst of severe drought and the clouds kind of form and there's a moment where you think maybe, finally, there's some relief from the drought, but the clouds quickly dissipate, no rain, and we're disappointed again. Now you contrast that with how many times Jesus in the Gospels identified himself as the water of life. For those with dry and thirsty souls, Jesus identified himself as the water that satisfies a thirsty soul. What these false teachers are doing is so, it's so cruel, it's so sinister that the verse ends, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. In other words, their judgment ultimately is in hell because of the sinister uh, lies and deception that have destroyed so many lives. Very strong language. What do they do? Verse 18, for speaking out arrogant, inflated, exaggerated words of vanity. They're empty. They're worthless. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. We saw this word entice, last word. It's a Greek word, means to bait a hook 
or to bait a trap. So they're trying to trap you. They're trying to lure you off the path of life with all kinds of empty promises, with all kinds of billboards and advertisements and promises that this will make you happy, this will satisfy, this will give you what you're looking for. So what exactly do they use as bait on the trap? The text tells us they tap in to these fleshly desires. The best way to understand this is to realize we are people made in the image of God. And as such, we have legitimate longing and desires. We legitimately long to be loved, to be accepted, to belong. We long for safety. We long for security. We long for pleasure. We long for significance. We long for hope. These are real and legitimate longings. The false teachers understand that, so that's what they tap into. They tap, tap into something that for you, it's real, and it's powerful, and you're seeking, and you're struggling, and you're looking. But there's springs without water. They lie to you and convince you that there is something that will satisfy when at the end of the story, it will only break your heart again. They entice, they bait the trap, trap with things that are real and meaningful and powerful to you. By sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. It's kind of a weird statement, but basically what it's saying is at one time, these were people who were neck deep in their pagan ways. But it was so hurtful, it was so empty, it was so lonely, it was so dissatisfying that they're now seeking for something different, for something more. So if you imagine three categories of people, there's those who have experienced life change in Jesus, they're traveling the path of life, and they're absolutely determined, this is the path I want to travel. And then there's people that are neck deep in their pagan ways. They could care less what God has to say. They could care less what the Bible has to say. They could care less what someone like me has to say. And then there's these people in the middle who have been so hurt by the ways of the world. They're searching. They're seeking. They're desperately wondering if there's something that will finally satisfy they could be new believers, they could be just seekers, but they're in that high-risk category. You remember in chapter 1, Peter told us there's kind of like these steps up a staircase that are necessary to grow and strengthen as a Christian. It started with moral excellence, which was this idea of ultimately deciding, yes, this is the path I want to travel. I make up my mind. Second was knowledge, the idea that we need to know the truth. We're extremely vulnerable to the false teachers until we have a strong sense of what is true. You'll never really understand the lies until you know the truth. Once we know the truth, then it uh, leads to 
uh, self-discipline, which leads to perseverance, which leads to godliness, and Peter kind of stepped us through the process. So Peter's identifying this is the group that's at risk. This is the group that the false teachers are targeting. They don't yet know the truth. They're either new believers or they're seeking, and they're trying to find that which ultimately will satisfy. Verse 19, what do they promise them? Promising them freedom. While they themselves are slaves of corruption. They're slaves of their own choices. They're slaves of their own lifestyle. But what they promise people is freedom. This roots all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. This is what the serpent offered Adam and Eve. That ultimately life would be better if you were in charge, if you were God, if you were deciding what's right and wrong. That's ultimate freedom. And it sounds so compelling. So we're traveling down Highway 2, which is the path of life. But we notice, you know, this is really restrictive. I mean, there's a speed limit. There's lines. You're supposed to only go one way. There's all these signs that are telling us what to do. And then we look out beyond the highway and there's all these empty fields. I don't see any signs out there. I don't see any lines out there. I don't see any speed limits out there. That looks like freedom. So we decide that's the way of freedom. You know what's going to happen. You're only going to get so far until you get stuck. The farther you get away from Highway 2, from the off-ramp that seems so compelling, the more you see everyone is stuck in the mud, living in bondage. That dirty little secret was just far enough away, you couldn't really see it when you took the off-ramp. Now, some of you in the room, you are wired up with four-wheel drive. Now, I have a four-wheel drive vehicle. I really like it. But here's what I've learned. When you get a four-wheel drive vehicle stuck, you are really stuck. And it is way more work getting you unstuck. Some of you in the room, you are four-wheel drive people. You are off the path of life. You are determined to take your own path. It is getting worse and worse and worse. And yet you are determined in your four-wheel drive attitude not to admit that you're getting stuck. And you're going to get so deep in the mud. It's going to become very difficult to rescue you. It isn't freedom. Even the false teachers themselves live in bondage. The end of the verse says, For by what a man is overcome, by that he is enslaved. That's actually what was referred to as a military proverb. The literal idea was that when the enemy defeats you, overcomes you, 
then you become the enemy's slave. Peter's using it more metaphorically to say when you give in to the false teachers, you ultimately are overcome by those decisions and you become enslaved to that which you thought would make you so happy. Starting then in verse 20 to the end of the chapter is a very highly disputed portion of 2 Peter. There's a wide range of opinion. There's lots of variables. I don't really want to go into all of those other than to just let you know. There's lots of opinions. It's hard to be too dogmatic about the interpretation. One of the reasons that's helpful to understand is there are those that would teach you that you can lose your salvation. And one of the passages they go to is this section of 2 Peter. What I would suggest to you is none of us should formulate our deepest theological views around a passage that is so uncertain in the interpretation. It's kind of like Hebrews 6. It's confusing, lots of opinions. No one should go to this passage and say, there, that proves it. This passage doesn't prove anything. There's just too much uncertainty. So with that said, I'm going to tell you what I think it says, but just be aware there's others that think differently. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. So the first part of the debate is who is the they that's referred to in verse 20? There are a few that say that they is referred to those who are in between the pagan world and the road of life, those seekers or maybe those new believers. So the people of verse 18. But very few commentators hold that view because it's very difficult to support. Almost all commentators think that they are the false teachers. Grammatically, that makes the most sense. It connects to verse 19. Also, the false teachers are the subject of the discussion through the whole chapter. So that uh, most likely that they is referring to the false teachers. Much more of the debate and discussion is around the idea of whether or not the false teachers were believers. Were they believers that lost their salvation? Were they believers that gave up their salvation willingly? Or are they, uh, were they never believers at all? That's kind of where most of the discussion revolves around. This, to me, is very similar to the text in Hebrews 6. If you're familiar with that, it has a lot of the same dynamics. I think what the text is talking about is that these false teachers, they came out of their pagan ways to explore this new movement called 
Christianity. In the process, they learned a knowledge. We talked about, Peter uses this word know a lot in 2 Peter. It can mean to know experientially. It can mean to know the information. Basically, what he's saying is these people came out of those pagan ways, and they learned the information related to the claim that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he was the Lord Jesus Christ, that he provided the way of righteousness. But at the end of the day, they listened, they involved themselves with the people, they gave consideration to it, and ultimately decided, I don't want it. They decided it was too restrictive. They decided they wanted to indulge their flesh. They decided they didn't want to be told what to do. They decided they despise authority. And ultimately, they decide, I'm not interested. And they go back entangled in their former ways. Peter says that's now worse than their previous situation. Uh, Why does he say that? Peter taught us in 1 Peter that all of us, before we came to Christ, were ignorant and searching for that which would ultimately satisfy. We are trying to figure out which is the road of life and how do I know and where is it? But once we encountered the resurrected Christ and our lives have been changed, Peter told us we're not ignorant anymore. At one time we lived that way because we didn't know any better. Now we know better, so it would be foolish to return to those former ways. That's what Peter taught us in his first letter. So the reason in this text that these false teachers are now worse off than they were before is because now they have been exposed to the truth of the gospel. They have been exposed to the truth of who Jesus is, what he did, and the way of salvation. They've actually been shown this is the path of life. But after their analysis, after careful consideration that may be weeks or months or years, They finally decided, not interested. I don't want it. And they go back to their pagan ways. At this point, they understand the gospel. They're not missing any information. They just don't want it. That puts them in a worse situation than they were before. Now, this really should not be difficult to understand In the sense, it's talked about a lot in the New Testament. Jesus himself talked about the parable of the soils and what happens to those seed. And some seem like the seed takes root, but not really. Jesus talked about the tares and the wheat. Said sometimes the tares, the weeds get mixed up with the wheat. And he actually said, don't you try to pull up the tares. Because in doing so, you might accidentally pull up some of the wheat. Jesus, in essence, said only God can ultimately tell what's going on in the human heart. Other passages talk about, like James talks about faith and works. And a faith that saves is a faith 
that works. John talks about those who claim to be Christians but sin is a way of life should really wonder if anything has really happened that has transformed their soul. So there's a lot of these discussions about people who can enter into kind of the subculture of Christianity. They can get really religious. They can take it all for a test drive. They can try to figure out if this is good and what they're looking for. But at some point decide, I don't think I'm interested. And as a result of that, they walk away. It could be weeks, could be months, could be years. Verse, uh, the last verse, verse 22, then kind of confirms this conclusion. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. In other words, the false teachers returned to their former ways because that is their nature. Having never experienced new life in Christ, have never become partakers of the divine nature, still in their sinful nature, that ultimately that wins out, that's who they are, and they go back to their former ways. One is a proverb from the book of Proverbs, one is a proverb just from ancient times. But simply stated, you can take a pig out of the mud, and you can shower him up and put cologne on him. But the pig is still a pig, and the pig will go back and wallow in the mud. Why? Because the pig is still a pig. That's its nature. That's basically the essence of verse 22. So all of this kind of then raises the question in 2 Peter chapter 2. What is the point? Is there a warning to the false teachers? Yes, I would say certainly that is true. The challenge is, typically, the false teachers aren't here this morning. And the false teachers really don't want to listen to what Peter says or anything that I might say. The primary message is to us as believers in understanding the risk that false teachers are real, they're powerful, They're compelling, they're convincing, and they're very good at leading people astray. They find things in your life that are real, that are powerful, that are legitimate longings and desires. They tap into your pain and your disappointments and your struggles. They offer you uh, empty promises They offer you exaggerated statements. They offer you springs without water. They're so cruel that they'll actually say, it looks to me like you and your family are dying of thirst. If you take this path, I promise you, there's a spring full of cool, fresh water. Even though they know that's not true. How do they know it's not true? Because they themselves are living in bondage. They themselves have become enslaved to their own corruption. And if they're going down, they're going to take as many down 
with them as possible. So here's some things to think about. First of all, if you have trusted Christ as Savior, this is the first step in the process from chapter 1, that you are going to decide this is my path. This is the path I want to travel. This is where I believe I'm going to find life. Then you commit to that. The next step is knowledge. You're extremely vulnerable to the false teachers until you really understand what's true so you can stand on that truth, which then leads to self-control, which then leads to perseverance, which leads to godliness. That was that process we talked about in chapter 1. One of the great first steps down that path, if you've never taken this step, would be baptism. Baptism is publicly identifying myself as a follower of Jesus. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We have a baptism service coming up the weekend of the 14th and 15th, two weeks after Easter. It's a great opportunity to follow through on that commitment and say, you know, this is the path I choose, I'm in. If you're interested, you can call the church office, you can ask someone at the information center. If you still have questions two weeks from today, there's a baptism class, you can get information about it on the website that uh, should uh, be able to answer your questions, or certainly you can talk to one of the pastoral staff, or maybe even just a Christian friend that you'd be comfortable with. Beyond that, in a crowd this size, we would have to assume that there's got to be many who have been deceived by the false teachers. I want to remind you again, they are compelling. They are really good at what they do. They're very convincing they tap into things in your life that are real and powerful, and they're really, really good and effective at leading people astray. They promise water to a thirsty soul. They promise freedom. They promise that this is what you're looking for. One of the first steps to traveling down the path of life is to be willing to be honest. Just to be willing to be honest. How's it going right now? Just to be honest with yourself. I'm not asking who you pretend to be on social media. I'm not asking about the mask you put on and wear when you come to church. I'm not asking about all the ways you pretend with your friends that everything's okay. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you to be honest. At 12 o'clock at night, when you're all alone and you can't sleep, and you're disappointed, and you're hurt, you're sad, and you're fearful, and you're angry. And in those moments, you're very disappointed with life. 
You never quite thought it was going to be like this. And you've lost your way. I want you to know there's, there's nobody here that's wanting to put you down. There's nobody here waiting to give you a lecture. There's nobody wanting to wag a finger and say, I told you so. There's nobody that's wanting to heap on shame and guilt. It's just the opposite, really. It's just people that want to help. There's just people that want to help. But the first step is yours. And you have to be honest. Is this the way you thought it was going to be? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Is this really the path you want to travel? Some of you, you're so disappointed. You've turned to drugs and alcohol. That's your way of escaping. You've convinced yourself and the people around you you got it handled. But you don't have it handled. It's starting to take over, and you know it. And it is getting out of control. It's affecting you, it's affecting your job, it's affecting your relationship, and you're starting to realize this is out of control. How far down that path do you have to go before you're willing to be honest enough to say, this isn't the way I want to live? For some of you, you've turned to pornography. Maybe it started out of curiosity. No harm, no foul. What's the big deal? Then a little bit more and a little bit more. Now for you, it's become your place of refuge. It's your drug of choice. It's where you go to escape because life has gotten too painful. But now you're starting to realize, I'm not sure I can stop. Every time you do it, you feel the shame, you feel the guilt. You feel dirty. And you tell yourself, I'll never do it again. But now you can't stop. Now for you, life is about cover-up. It's about deceit and lies. Now you live every day in bondage. And you wonder, will you ever know another day where you're free again? You look in the mirror and you wonder, how, how did I get here? For some of you, it's this drive for money. It's this drive for stuff. It's this drive for significance. You're desperately wanting to be somebody. Maybe to impress someone who frankly doesn't care. It's about money. It's about cars. It's about power. It's position. You're going 100 miles an hour. Because somebody convinced you that's where it's at. That'll make you happy. That will satisfy you. Yet, in the middle of the night, you're not happy. You're not satisfied. You're not at rest. As a matter of fact, everything's kind of unraveling. Everything's falling apart, and you may lose everything. At what point do you be honest and say, hey, this isn't working? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't making me happy. This isn't the path of life. 
We have resources here to help with every single thing that I've named. There is a way back to the path of life. I promise you that. But the first step has to be yours. And the first step is to admit, maybe I've lost my way. Hey, the false teachers, they're good. They're convincing. They're compelling. But at some point, you have to admit they've lied to me. And I'm ready to get back on the path of life. You say, is there any hope for me? Don't ever forget the words of Jesus. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Our Father, we were just sobered this morning by the reality that the false teachers are out there and they're really, really good at what they do. There's people here this morning whose lives have been disrupted and some devastated because they've believed the empty promises of the false teachers. God, search our hearts. May we have the courage this morning to be honest. Maybe this morning that's the first step in turning back to find the path of life that is only found in Jesus. Lord, that is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember being um, elementary school. I was about eight. Uh, Mom informed us we were going to a funeral. And we finally, well, well, who died? Well, actually, it's your father. And I'm like, Daddy's in the other room. Um, we, we just didn't take, we didn't think about it, that we had three sets of grandparents. That's all we knew. And it, it started jumbling up some ideas about identity. My father uh, was flying in Vietnam. And he was shot down and reported missing in action. I've always said, I, I have my father and, and dad. Um, he was also in the Air Force. Eventually those assignments ended me in my second high school and we were overseas in West Germany. I discovered uh, a youth group. It was a place to hang out. Um, and I found a place I belonged. The most exciting part of it was that I realized that God is real. Um, bumped into a real Jesus. <laughs> Got to know him, fall in love with him. Uh, invited him into my life. I came back to the United States uh, to go to college and I left Jesus in Germany. <laughs> um, life got real crazy out of control and I remember finally meeting a guy within a year we were married. Uh, 
it was a whole new culture, all new rules. And it, it was always adjusting and fitting into the environment that was around me. What are the rules here? What am I supposed to do? What, are the, what, what rituals do I follow? I can remember going crazy. I'd get frustrated because my husband wanted to know where his supper was, not where his wife was. So I took that as a license to, to let go even more. Uh, after the marriage ended, seeking relationships, um, finding a guy in a bar, well, it was serial monogamy, so that's okay. <laughs> um, the messages were always out there, calling me, inviting me. It's party, come have a party. Um, let's all party together. That, that was the message that life could be better if we'd all go hang out at the party. I, I literally heard people saying, you know, they could hide out from everything else. It was real easy to fit in there. <laughs> it was real easy to get approval. Got what I wanted and I hated it. <laughs> I had uh, met a friend in high school who was part of that youth group with me. Um, and I, I gotta say, it's to be God. That's kept her part of my life. She said she'd met someone who was so excited about their church. She said, well, let's, let's, let's go check it out. Found myself sitting in a step study group for Celebrate Recovery. It's a Christ-centered 12-step program. I walked in to Lincoln Marian on the 30th of, of December. 2016, I was going to start the new year. I met Terry that night. And in that step study over the year, I was given time and space just to be me. I wasn't criticized. I wasn't judged. I, I was still looking for, well, what are the rules I'm supposed to follow and how am I supposed to do this? And it, it didn't matter. What I found there was a place to be safe. Um, where it was okay not to be okay. It's why it's so nice having Terry sitting across from me. Because when I came here and met you and was given space to come back, I was reminded that day that I'd had the answer for quite some time when I had invited Christ to come and live and be in me and do life with me. Um, he never left. Jesus meets me where I am. I'm not unforgiven. When I can stay connected with the friends who help remind me of that message, life's getting a lot better.